Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Brett. How are you today? Um, well, and yourself? I'm fantastic. Wow, fantastic. So today, we're going to talk about bulldogs. So you get that call, right? We've all gotten that call or somebody comes up to you at a cocktail party and says, I need a bulldog. I need a bulldog lawyer to handle an issue for me. What do you do? So the first thing I want to know is what's a bulldog in their mind? Because everybody's view of the bulldog may be a little bit different. I think most people perceive a bulldog to be a lawyer who's going to fight tooth and nail for their client at every stage of typically litigation. I think it comes up in a lot of different settings, but most often associated with litigation. The client wants a bulldog that's going to fight every little issue for them at every stage and be super aggressive and combative and not agree to give an inch for fear of losing a mile. But ultimately, I'm asking that question to lead into the next question of why. You know, why do you want a bulldog? So we can get a better understanding of what, what it is, what objective they're trying to achieve. Yeah, like why, why you think you need one, right? And ultimately, I think you, you use the right word, which is objective, right? Result. And we sort of in our practice, uh, different practices, talk about, you know, battles and war. And, I, you know, I hate the use of that term <laughs> as I've gotten older, but maybe it's a chess game, Right litigation and, and bankruptcy is like a chess game. You know, there's a lot of different moves with a focus on a result at the end. Chess is, you know, you, you can win or lose that game. And in litigation or in bankruptcy or really anything where there's two adverse parties, a lot of times, unless you're at trial, there's not a clear winner or loser. And even if you win at trial, you may not win. Winning and losing is not necessarily a great terminology in our in what we do. But the result that the client is really focused on is, and, and then the moves to get there. Right. And I think, I mean, we, we like to say a lot that oftentimes winning doesn't mean for our client that the other side lost. Right. Sometimes a win is where both sides win. And oftentimes we have parties come to us saying that they want to litigate, sue the other, some other party. And what we will ask, why? What is it you're hoping to achieve? So we can understand what's the desired outcome. I want to collect the money that's owed to me. Okay, can the other side afford to pay? Are you still doing business with them? When you sue them, do you expect to continue doing business with them? Because that's not likely to be the case. A lot of clients haven't even thought through the ramifications of, of litigating. They're going to lose not only they not only may they not collect all the money, but they may lose a significant customer or vendor or whatever the relationship is. So a lot of people haven't thought through what's their objective and what's what's what are they really after? Obviously, everybody wants to win. That's typically the objective, but. What's behind that objective? What is your actual goal that you're trying to achieve at the end? Yeah, and I mean, listen, I think uh, Hollywood probably hasn't done us any any great favors either. Some of the way you know lawyers are portrayed in, on TV or in the movies, you know, standing up and objecting and vehemently objecting in court and pounding on the table and throwing things. And and by the way, in real life, lawyers haven't done us any favors either. I mean. 
you know, there are these famous videos of depositions taken in some of the litigation against Monsanto, for example, from like the 70s or 80s when you know, fistfights broke out. <laughs> that doesn't do us any favors either. And so there are people who perceive bulldogs or super aggressive lawyers as being more successful. And I don't think that to be the case. I think there is a time to push on substantive issues. I think there's times to give in on and agree to agree on certain issues because ultimately you're keeping your eye on the prize of the result that the client wants, right? And trying to keep the client's eye on that. And, you know, I think you touched on one thing, uh, which is budget. Clients come to us, right? And say, we want to be super aggressive. We want to go after this. We want to go after these people. We want to do this. We want to do that. And so we sit down with them and touch on the issues you touched on, which is number one, what's going to happen when you sue them? Do you really want to sue them for your own business and the public perception for your business, perhaps business with the target of this litigation as well as another avenue that we, we sort of sit down and talk to clients about, but also budget, right? I always like to say, if a client says this is principal, we double the retainer. Um, because, <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it, it's a figure of speech, of course, but typically what happens in those situations is you get fatigue. You know, the clients get the, the fatigue. They come in all hot. It's raw, a wound. They get all, they're all amped up because the issue is fresh. They come in, they meet with us. They tell us they want to do this. They want to go forward. They want to be super aggressive. They want to do all these things. And we start doing, you know, representing them and, and moving forward. And inevitably they get that first bill or they get, you know, the second bill or whatever it is. And they sit back and then they come down off of that high and realize how much this is really going to cost them and what's happening and seeing that while maybe they're making some traction, this is going to, this is like a marathon. This is not a sprint. And so how much is this really going to cost me? Even if I get the result I want, is it worth the spend? Right. So the so the first consideration sounds like you're saying is the economics of the transaction or the, the of the litigation. If they're coming in, you know, the client that wants the bulldog, do the economics warrant that type of approach? So if you're because it is more costly being a bulldog or being combative, if you will, non agreeable to even the smallest things, cost more. When a lawyer asks for an enlargement of time and you refuse to give them that, it ends up costing more and probably gives them more time. Do you have? Didn't you have an example of uh, that happening for you? I was involved in the litigation. A lawyer from outside the state of Florida was on the other side. I was uh, leaving on vacation and I asked the lawyer for an extension of time to respond. I don't know if it was a motion or the complaint. I, I don't remember, but... I asked him for an extension of time to allow me to, one, have my vacation, uh, two, communicate with my client because there were settlement conversations that were going on. And so I said, give me an opportunity to communicate with my client and I'm going on vacation. So give me a little bit more time to respond and, and we'll get you, you know, we'll continue settlement discussions. When you make a request like that, right. what would be the typical response? Right. So, so typically my job is not to make the opposing counsel's life difficult. And there's going to be a time when I need an extension. And so unless there is abuse, 
going on on the other side, or there is a specific reason why we cannot agree to an extension, which I will convey to the other side, I routinely give them and grant so, them. And that's common practice among lawyers. You give common a, civil a common courtesy. Among, among lawyers, but a correct. bulldog would say, no, I'm not agreeing to an enlargement. Right. And so this lawyer did not agree. And so I spent a good portion of my vacation working on settlement as well as working on it, responding to the extent that we didn't settle. And so I vividly remember walking through places where we were on vacation with my kids who were little at the time on the phone in heavy conversation with my client and then this, this lawyer while I was on vacation. Now, some who are listening to this may say, well, yeah, but ultimately, and it, we did settle at the end of the day, we reached a settlement. So some may say, yeah, see, he got his settlement. But that to me is a, a sort of a very myopic view because- Did, Would they've gotten the settlement even with the enlargement? Yeah, the I mean, we would have, would have settled been. anyway. And so now that lawyer to me is somebody who I can't trust, uh, who if I get involved in another litigation and if my client is involved in another litigation with that lawyer, and I'm sure I have told other people who <laughs> litigate with that lawyer in that jurisdiction what happened, you know, that's a reputation that's hard to shake. And so that lawyer is going to have some difficulty in the future. In some instances, does the refusal give the client, could that have given his client a strategic advantage? No, I mean, it didn't, right? And the, the only thing it did was force me to have to spend time on vacation working through a settlement when that settlement could have been done right after. It didn't get him a better result right. by being difficult. No way. You could have, I think you could have filed a motion to seek the additional time, which would have right. cost you more time. Right. And then the court would have presumably set that for hearing and that would have cost right. him more time. Now you didn't take that tack because you didn't take the bait. I did not. You could it, have, right? I didn't because my client ultimately, when I spoke to my client, you know, really just, they did want to resolve it. And so I said, look, I, I, I will do it. I'll do it for you. I'll get it done and we'll settle this thing and be over. And so we were able to do that because my client wanted that. Had my client said, no, man, go enjoy your right. vacation, file the motion, I would have done that. And so sometimes I think a lot of clients will come into it thinking, I don't want to agree to anything, right. including an enlargement of time. And once a good lawyer, bulldog or not, is going to explain to the client that, look, extensions of time are routine. They're not they don't cost you more money. Arguably, they cost you less money for right. the reason I mentioned a minute ago. The other side's not going to file a motion and we go to court. By the way, if the other side files a motion, they may ask for more time. If we're going to court, I, if I'm seeking an extension, I ask the other side for 10 days. When they say no, I file a motion for 30. I'm going to, if we're going to go to court and ask for more time, I'm going to ask for even more, even a longer extension. So, yeah. And so, so just to touch on that for a second. So, you know, some people would say, well, I wanted a record. Uh, that they asked for the extension. So, okay, you can get the same result by agreeing and saying, listen, I need you to file an agreed motion. So it's there. Yes, we agree to it, but you file your motion so everybody knows that you filed the motion, asked for the extension, you get the order, it's all good. You know, you don't have to fight that. But this reminds me of a time when I was when I was a young lawyer uh, just coming out of the state attorney's office. You're still office. young, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Coming out of the state attorney's office, you know, just getting into the civil realm, you know, I wanted to fight, fight, fight. That's all I wanted to do. And in fact, I remember when I used to uh, get requests for extensions of time to respond to a complaint, I remember going to the partner I work with on, on 
particular firework with a lot when I would get a draft order and it would say X days to respond to the complaint. So I used to X out respond and say answer because I wanted them to answer, right? I went, no, no more motion. I don't want to wait for a motion to dismiss. And I remember walking in and the partner looked at me and said, just make it respond. Come on, man. Like if they filed the motion, they'd get it anyway. And so that sort of, you know, I had to sit back and say, yeah, you know what? He's right. And sometimes, and I think you're you're right, sometimes you have to um, give a little, and particularly in litigation. I like to start a litigation case out by communicating with the other side, introducing myself, saying hello, letting them know. If you need an additional extension of time, let me know. I hope you'll do the same. Let's Let's take an, a courteous approach early on. But sometimes it's about client management because I think clients don't, they don't understand that giving an extension of time is a routine right. matter. And so I've heard lawyers tell me, oh, so I can't give you the extension. My client you know, won't allow it. My reaction to that is I, I believe them that the client may not have agreed to it, but I think that's poor client management. A good lawyer will say to the client, no, we have to give the extension. This is how it ha- this is how it works. I'm going to need an extension at some point. And so good client man, a good lawyer is going to manage their client's expectation and explain to the client that I know you're against this, but we need to do this. Especially in litigation, one other aspect of that is the judge, right? Uh, you're going to need something from the judge at some point. And so and you want the judge to be on your side, if you will. And so when you walk into court, you want that goodwill. But if the judge is going to remember that you're the lawyer and you're the party that argued against a 10-day or 20-day or 30-day extension of time, which is routinely granted, but you argued against it and argue against every little thing, the judge is going to know that. Right. It's about picking your battles. It's pick your battles. When you're going to go before the judge on an issue and tell the judge that this issue is important, let the judge understand that it's important because right. you haven't brought another issue before him. If you've right. been there every day for however many months and he knows oh, this is just another. Right. You're right. going to you undermine your own right. credibility. You're going to diminish the value of the significant issue that you want the court to listen to you on. Right. You know, if you're arguing every every issue, you're going to you're going to diminish right. the value of those important issues. Now, you mentioned the economics before we we took a little detour there, but the economics are not not just about the amount at issue and the budget, but it's about how much it's going to cost the client. Is it less or more expensive to be a bulldog in a litigation case? I, I would argue it's cost more. Typically, would cost more. I would say that's the usual scenario is that it's going to cost more. You know, let's not confuse that with you know as we talked about being pushy or aggressive. When you you know can say, listen, if we don't settle at this amount, we're going to do this, this, and this. I mean, some would argue that's being a bulldog, but it's, that's just laying out what, you know, what's going to happen if you don't resolve it. And so if you do it early on, then yeah, you, you save, obviously you save the expensive litigation costs, but there are some lawyers who won't, like you said, pick up the phone even before they file, won't send a demand or won't send a letter and just file and, and haul missiles. off. Yeah, just, you know, shoot ready, first. shoot, aim, right? right? <laughs> and so, you know, in the end, they may get the, the result, but it's going to cost the client more. Sitting here, I can think of an example where we were involved in a litigation many years ago 
representing a court-appointed fiduciary. And we went through litigation. We were fighting against some banks. And one of the banks, we ended up getting a good result at the trial court level um, on a summary judgment, which got reversed on appeal at the district court. The case extended for another two years of all-out litigation. And we ended up going to a, a mediation on a Saturday. And we stayed there all day on Saturday. Remember this. We settled with one of the banks for the same amount that we would have settled with them for two and a half years earlier. <laughs> and I'll never forget that counsel for the bank passed a comment to our client. Uh, I should say it's general counsel for the bank. It wasn't the litigation counsel. Passed a comment that said basically was indicating that the bank wouldn't use that lawyer again because the bank spent all this money ended up in the same place. So it's kind of like the uh, the cool hand Luke quote, what we have here is a failure to, to communicate. Right. So that's the other thing that a bulldog tends to disrupt, and that is open lines of communication. Yes. If you're combative, I mean, we've seen cases where the lawyer on the other side is so combative and they'll twist your words and accuse you of lying and whatever it is that you can only communicate with them in writing and communicating in writing, uh, you know, it might be effective for certain circumstances, but in others it's very ineffective and it doesn't allow for opportunities for conciliation. If you're talking to someone and you have a good relationship with them at some point, you can say, Hey, you know, what, how do we get this resolved? Right, And that's an easier question to ask in, on the phone or in person than it is to in an email yeah. or in a, in a letter. Certainly in a letter, we've had cases where it's letters, literal, every single communication is writing a letter, printing it out, signing it and sending it. That just costs more money besides avoiding the opportunities for conciliation. Oh, it extends, just, this extends the time and the aggravation level goes up, right? We haven't even, I know we haven't, touched on that as, as another area, which is the emotional impact on the client as the litigation extends, as the dispute extends, when you've got a bulldog, maybe on one side, you're, you hire a bulldog or somebody you want to be a bulldog, and that gets the other side to be more aggressive too. And so now your lawyer is having to respond to somebody who's now being super aggressive because your lawyer was super aggressive. Right. And now you're sitting in a deposition with a lawyer who's responding to being super aggressive to somebody who's super aggressive, being super aggressive to you in a deposition. So it elevates and escalates everything. And the, getting back to the communication, that can help ramp it down. I mean, we have the policy right here of anything that comes into this office or goes out of this office goes to the client. And not every lawyer has that. Not every practice area may be conducive to that. But we, we have that policy here. I know I keep going through examples, but I was arguing with a lawyer outside of court once on an issue that we were about to go before the judge on. I mean, it was it got heated, and the client of the uh, of the lawyer that I was arguing with was standing a few paces away, and he walked up to us and said, "Do you mind if I listen?" And his lawyer just looked at him, and I said, "No, I, I have no problem with that." And so we continued our conversation, the the lawyer and I, and the client stopped us and looked at me and said, "You're offering X, Y, and Z on this issue," and I said, "Yeah." 
And the client said, well, I have no problem with that. Right. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> that's an example of the mere proximity of the client, somebody <laughs> with a business, a bi- hopefully a business outlook, a results-oriented outlook could make a logical decision, yeah. an unemotional decision about a piece of a, lit- a, p- a component of a litigation. But right. if that was a communication by email or letter, the client wouldn't have had that opportunity. No. And so I, you just mentioned the term results-oriented. So, and that I know is obviously is our focus, um, results-oriented approach. But what, what does that really mean, right? There are lawyers that you go to and say, this person breached my contract and I want to go after them. And that lawyer is going to say, okay, great. And they, they prepare a lawsuit and they start there and they say, here, we're going to file this lawsuit and they file the lawsuit. Not thinking, okay, well, here's where we're trying to go. How do we get there? What's the best way to get there? We would sit back and say, okay, what's the result you want? Okay, now let's backtrack and figure out this best strategy to get there, right? right? And the best strategy sometimes is, you've said it, pick up the phone first. Sometimes you have to push and you have to, you know, zealously represent your client, as we always like to say, or, you know, be aggressive in certain areas and certain times and certain issues. But sometimes it's picking up the phone and sometimes it's agreeing to certain things and not agreeing to others. And so that is results oriented because you're still every action or inaction that you take is with the the sole goal of reaching the result that right. you and the client have sat down and said, that's what they are looking for. Now, with that, obviously, you have to sit back and tell the client, well, and I know this could be a whole other podcast, you could sit back, you have to sit back with the client and say, well, is that is that result achievable, right? And there may be, okay, that's your best case scenario result, then there's maybe the, the second best right? and the more realistic. So, you know, that, that could, again, that could be a whole other podcast in, in framing the result. But what I've typically found is lawyers that are bulldogs are not results oriented. Right. They're focused lawyers. on winning the battle in front of them as opposed to how that battle achieves right. or doesn't achieve their result instead of focusing on how it achieves the result. And, and I think, to expand on that point a minute is that being a bulldog just categorically is not necessarily better. I would, you know, I think this whole podcast is focused arguing otherwise, but you have to be willing to fight or be that bulldog at the opportune times. And I think of, you know, one example that comes to mind is in a discovery dispute when the client, when our client is asked to provide certain documents, our client's in many instances will say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to produce those documents. They can't have my whatever bank records and from that company. And we'll say, well, what's in there? Why not? They shouldn't get our records. They're not entitled to them. Why should, why should I have to give them? They're not giving me mine, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, the first thing I want to know is, well, what is, what's in there? I want to see them. Let, give me the documents so that we can understand first what we're fighting about. And Nine times out of 10, we look at them, not, that's, that's not an accurate statistic right there, but oftentimes we look at the documents and there's nothing harmful in there. And so the question to the client is, okay, if we're going to go fight about this in court, we're happy to do that. But why are we fighting about it? And sometimes the mere act of fighting sends a message to the other side and or the judge that 
these documents are actually more important than they are. Oftentimes we can, one, avoid avoid hearing, avoid a motion for protective order, a motion to quash, avoid numerous phone calls, meeting and conferring with the opposing party, avoiding going to court by just producing the documents when the act of not producing them can be themselves an, a fight and lend more importance to you know what what the substance of the fight is even about. And so oftentimes it's what are we fighting about before we fight? Let's make yeah. that decision first. And you know more to the point on discovery, which can itself also be another uh, subject of another podcast. Depending upon what the result the client is looking for in the timeline, that is if you have discovery disputes, that is prolonging everything. Is pushing everything out. Sure. Judges hate discovery disputes. They're going to tell you that. They're either going to kick you to a magistrate judge or a special magistrate, which then costs, typically costs more money to spend on the, the magistrate. You're going to have to have an in camera inspection if you're objecting to certain things as privileged or confidential. Or re- There's a host of things that people can do to alleviate all of that. Again, like you said, if it's really not a big deal, now, there may be a reason to object and withhold certain things. That's fine. But you have to pick, again, just picking and choosing the spots right. uh, to do that, to avoid unnecessarily creating issues where there shouldn't be. Right. You actually were involved in a case within the last year, <laughs> went back a couple of years, where it seemed like the attorney on the other side was not results-oriented. Right. And so tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, in that particular case, it it was apparent to us that the attorney was himself the roadblock because anytime we made any type of communication towards a resolution or to be practical or amicable, it just fell on deaf ears. And so our objective was to try to get the clients uh, together for communication. And again, the attorney was continued to be an obstructionist. And sometimes some attorneys, they're not going to, it's not only are they going to be a bulldog, but they're going to, they are disruptive to their client's best interests. A lot of lawyers are really focused, and I think this goes to why lawyers have a bad reputation. A lot of them are just focused on keeping their case alive because they know that case keeps con- continues to pay them. And rather than trying to get to a result for the client, in this particular case, in that example, we were the plaintiff, and we probably would have walked away at some point, and I'm sure we communicated that. I know we communicated that, but... The other side refused to engage with us despite numerous attempts to do that. And now we took the case to trial. And now that other side is has a uh, is staring at a multi-million dollar judgment. And, including and they having could, to pay. Including having to pay my legal fees. But just the refusal to communicate and accept the fact that they had some risk of loss they now have a multi-million dollar judgment against them. So we only have about a minute or so left. You mentioned the term roadblock. Is there something that can be done to try to eliminate that or remove that in the context of litigation? I'm, I mean, I'm to thinking me, of a specific example. To me, the ro- I, if the yeah. lawyer's the roadblock, I yeah. want to get to a mediation or another settlement meeting or a deposition. I want to get somewhere where I can, where the clients are in the room and right. the clients can communicate. And that's part of why I love mediation and mediations. Another could be another podcast topic because right. so mediation for me is the only opportunity that I get that where I can speak to the other side's client. 
I'm not speaking to the other side's client. I'm speaking to the other side, but the client's in the room and I'm speaking. And so I'm in my mind, I'm speaking to the client. I'm communicating a message that I feel maybe hasn't been conveyed or it's been conveyed in a manner that doesn't respect the real consequences of litigation and risk, consequences and risk of litigation. And what I find, just a last point on this, what I find is that a lot of lawyers are not communicating with their clients or are very protective because they're not communicating. And so they're concerned, right? And so they want to be in the room all the time. They don't want direct communication because they're not on the same page necessarily as their client. What we try to do or what we do, we we want to be on the same page as our clients. So there's very few instances where I have any concern about my client speaking with the client on the other side. They will hear everything that we've already discussed amongst me, our client, and heard us. It, right. They've heard from it you. already. From you. because we're And we're on the same page. So I'm not worried that my client is going to say something that is going to undercut what we've talked about as the result because we're on the same page. In other words, right. some some lawyers would be concerned, like the client would sit there and say, you know, I guess it's the <laughs> Seinfeld um, where Kramer accepts this, the uh, lifetime supply of, you know, bomb for, for getting burned by this with soup and, or the <laughs> coffee, right? Instead of, instead of like sitting there taking money and he's like, bomb, you agreed to a bomb, you know, because he just jumped mm-hmm. up and said that. So our clients, you know, we're always on the same page as our client. And so I'm, I'm never worried about that. Um, but there are lawyers that are, which, and that's why they're the roadblock. They don't want that. They want to stay in the middle of that. So there's no direct communication. So it's, and it's not just conveying for and to the, use the settlement offer as an example. It's not just conveying that we received an offer, conveying it to the client, which lawyers are ethically obligated to do, but it's also communicating to them about the merits, why or how they communicate. If you send a settlement offer and say, this is terrible, we should reject it. Most clients are going to accept that advice. But if you say, let's explore this and communicate and come back, even though it's much lower or much higher or whatever it is, we should still respond in some way a good lawyer will try to find the shortest and most efficient path to a result, to the outcome, to the end, to the conclusion of that litigation, whatever that conclusion is. If you can get your client there as quickly and efficiently as possible, then you're doing a good job as a lawyer. And we keep using the term litigation, but this is across the board in any dispute, no matter what. Yeah. I like to use the example of those little mazes that you do when you're a kid where you enter the maze at one end and you have to draw the pen through and get to the end. Well, if you go to the end and try to work your way backwards, there's one path and it's very easy. It's, it's called cheating. But when we're, when we're thinking about a case, that's how I like to think about a case. I want to know where's the end and let's work our way backwards. Yep. Agreed. All right, Jeff. Hey, thank you, Brett. Thank you, Jeff. For more information on this show and other resources, visit fastamron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Fast Amron.